in our journey through 1 Samuel, looking at a whole string of turnaround moments for the history of Israel and, and for our lives as we encounter the Lord. We're coming today in chapter 14 to my favorite story in the Old Testament. And because it's my favorite, uh, some of you in various settings have probably heard me talk about it before, but I love this story. And we're going to talk about defying the odds, defying the odds, which we're going to see a young man by the name of Jonathan do. He's the son of the first king of Israel, defying the odds. As you know, I used to be a Star Trek fan, and there was a movie that came out, Star Trek movie that came out after the TV series. And in this movie, thanks to some time warping that only science fiction can do, the two legendary captains of the USS Enterprise starship come together, Captain James T. Kirk and Jean-Luc Picard, and they're together. And Kirk is talking about how he's retiring and he doesn't know if his life will make a difference anymore. And so, meanwhile, Picard is trying to get him to join him in a mission to save the universe or something. And so Picard looks at him, at Kirk, and said, help me, help me in this mission and make a difference one more time. To which Kirk says, oh, I take it that the odds are against us and that the situation is grim. Picard said, you could say that, to which Kirk says, sounds like fun, because that's Kirk. The odds are against us, and the situation is grim. Now, my name starts with James T. as well, but Kirk is not my last name, and I don't think overcoming the odds is always fun. And I dare say most of us have some overwhelming odds against us somewhere in our lives. After you've failed numbers of times, it can feel overwhelming, like the odds are stacked against you to overcome an addiction. If you're a parent of any kind, the odds are against you these days, and it can feel overwhelming. If you own a business with the business with the changing post-COVID uh, economic climate, I mean, you can you can feel like the odds are against you ever going to the next level. I mean, we, we live with, with situations that seem overwhelming. The odds are against us. And I'm hoping God gives us that sounds like fun spirit today because we're not doing this alone. We're doing this for the one who conquered death and hell at the cross and is coming again and has given us his overcoming spirit. So we're people of faith and not of fear. So here's our anchor verse the son of the first king of Israel, Jonathan, Prince Jonathan. Verse 6 of 1 Samuel 14. And Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outposts of those uncircumcised men. That would be the Philistines. Perhaps the Lord, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. It's an amazing verse. And uh, let's just pause here and sort of get the setting. John Johns, John Johnson uh, sets the table for us for where we left off last week well when he writes, 
uh, Saul's time, King Saul's time has come. He had been anointed to be Israel's first monarch, their first king. And every leadership story in the Bible appears to be a summons, and this is his. But in this defining moment, Saul is nowhere to be found. Remember that? He's nowhere to be found. In the face of an overwhelming task, he hides. When the odds were against him, he hid. Fearful, unnerved. And his response ends up casting a shadow on his whole kingship. But what we're going to see is a case study in the very opposite of being overwhelmed, fearful, and unnerved. And it's going to be his son, Jonathan. The 13th chapter of 1 Samuel sets the stage. The Philistines, who are sort of our favorite bad guys in, the old, in 1 Samuel, they're on the march. The Israelites had gotten under their skin, and they are on the march. And chapter 13 says that they amassed an army like the sands of the sea. I mean, that's a whole lot of people. And Israel immediately saw that they were dead meat. This was a hopeless battle. So instead of gathering to their king, it says they literally hid in caves and in holes in the ground and behind bushes. Man, they just hid because this battle was going to be hopeless. They were going to get wiped out by the Philistines. And just to complicate the story, and we know this to be archaeologically factual, at this time, this is this is, early, this is kind of mid-first Iron Age, if you study ancient history. And we, we know that the Philistines had a monopoly at this time on the ironworking industry. And it just happened at this point when they start attacking that all of the weaponry was in the Philistines' hands, sharpening the swords, uh, taking care of the farm implements. And at this moment, Israel only had two swords. King Saul had one sword, and Prince Jonathan had the other sword. Only two swords in Israel. No wonder they were hiding instead of coming out to fight. So here's the picture. The people of God are hugely outnumbered. They're pitifully under-resourced. And where are those volunteers when you need them? I mean, it sounds like church work to me. I, I read 1 Samuel 13, and I go, church work, right there. Outnumbered, under-resourced, and where, where is everybody when we need them? But the first thing we're going to learn about facing overwhelming odds in the name of Jesus is, is to not let uncertainty stop us. Don't let uncertainty stop you. So let's read it one more time. Jonathan says to his armor bearer, perhaps, perhaps, I'm going to read that one more time, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. For all I know is that nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether it be many or few. Now, I once heard this story told from the perspective of the armor bearer, and I can't, if I was the armor bearer, I would go, oh, time out, Jonathan. Let's just go back a few words. Please tell me you did not say perhaps. I mean, it's you and me and one sword against an entire army of tens of thousands of men. And I really need to know that you at least have a word from God on this. Or, or, or even better, you know something I don't know right now. Don't give me a perhaps at this moment. 
But I realized in my life, every step of faith, turnarounds come when we face the odds and then have to take a step of faith. And every step of faith does not necessarily have a guarantee to it, even as of God. Sometimes we fail because the character that's built on us, in us, in the process of picking ourselves up after failure is even more important than what we'd accomplish if we succeeded. I, I want to tell you, at best, every one of us only have a, a perhaps in the future, because our future when we serve him is in the hands of a sovereign God. And the writer of Ecclesiastes says, so don't sit around with the paralysis of analysis. You, you don't know whether the wind's going to blow this way one day or that way. You don't know whether your morning planting of the seed or your evening planting will bring a harvest or both. You don't know. All you have in your future is a perhaps. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Will we win this battle? I'm not totally sure, but somebody has to do something. This is the perhaps. Uh, it's like the African gazelle. Fat, fastest land animal on that continent. It can broad jump 30 feet, it can high jump 10 feet, but it can be kept contained in a wall only three feet high because the gazelle will not jump until it can see ahead of time where its feet are going to land. I read that a few years ago, and I thought, that's just like the coward that I want to be half the time. I'm not going to take a risk. I'm not going to jump until I know that the outcomes. I pretty much secured my bets, and I'm pretty sure what's going to happen here if I do this there. And 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 that that's that that is that is living by the myth of certain. Listen, cer- clarity is good, but certainty is a myth. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. I love what Jonathan didn't do. He did not do this. He didn't do the despairing thing, like against these overwhelming odds. He didn't, he didn't say, you know, you know, this is going to be no use. I mean, it's just two of us, one sword, tens of thousands of soldiers attacking us. I mean, it's no use. And I've had people say to me, many, like, Pastor, what can just one person do? And so we give up our mission, we give up our calling, like we, we just think, well, what can just one person? But he didn't do the despairing thing in the face of these odds. He didn't do the insecure thing. He didn't do the, the I'm not qualified to attack a whole army all by myself with only one sword. Well, join the human race. And he didn't do the victim thing, the victim thing in the sense of why me? Like, why when something needs done around here, do they always ask me? I mean, what about these other dead beats I go to church with? You're like, why don't the pastor ask them to do something for a change? Why, why is it always me that's got to fix everything? Why is it always me that's got to clean up everybody's mess? He doesn't do that. I mean, he could have done that. My dad's the king. I mean, why, why should I do anything about this? He doesn't do anything like that because he knew some things for sure. Here's what Jonathan knew for sure. He knew. He said, perhaps the Lord will work on our behalf. We're not sure, but perhaps he'll do something. All I know is someone's got to do something because here's what I know for sure. He is able by many or by few. He is able. He is able. I mean, I got grounds to despair and be insecure and even feel like like I'm the guy who's got to always do the cleanup. But he is able. Hallelujah. No matter what the odds are against you right now, 
No matter what addiction you're fighting, no matter what depression you're fighting, no matter what family problems you're fighting, no matter what business challenges you have, He is able. And perhaps you're going to see a huge turnaround shortly, but all we know for sure is He is able. And I love that because God's not impressed with large numbers. Do you realize that? Jonathan's saying God's not impressed with large numbers. I mean, he made the heavens and the earth. He measures the galaxies by the span of his hand. It makes no difference whether there are two of us or 200,000 of us relative to his awesome omnipotence and great power. There is nothing. I mean, two or 200,000 of humans make nothing, no difference to him. He is able. If he's got two or got 200,000, he is able by many or by few. And God's not limited by our scarce resources. I thank God for that. I mean, my resources may be small, but he's not limited. He, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's the king of heaven. He has all the stars named by name. And he said, I will never tr- lose track of you. Uh, I, I, mean, I mean, I don't need large numbers. I don't mean, need you bringing to the table all kinds of things that somehow impress me. I'll tell you. When you're the Lord of heaven and earth, you're hard to impress. Even at our best, you can't impress him. He's not impressed with large numbers. He's not limited by scarce resources. And I especially love this. Jonathan was in essence saying, God is not weakened by our weakness. (laughs) I thank God for that. When I'm overwhelmed, he's not. When I feel like I'm backed into a corner without options, he's not. And when I'm nervous, thank God, he's not. Hallelujah. This he knew for sure. He didn't know exactly what might happen, but he knew this one thing for sure. Our God is able. Let me just say that again in Jesus' name, in defiance of everything that may be intimidating you today. Our God is able. Not your strength, not your resources, not... not, the large number of impressive things you can bring to the table, but God is able. He's able. And so as a result, Jonathan comes up with a plan. If I was armor bearer, I'd say we could use a plan right now. We could use a plan. Here's the plan. Jonathan says, we're going to go out. See, See that pass, that kind of valley? and see the Philistine outposts up there and the whole army behind them. Uh, we're going to go out, and everyone else is hiding in holes, but we are going to go out, and we're going to jump up and down and shout and wave our arms and get their attention. And then Jonathan says, we're going to listen to what they say. If they say, come on, that, stay there. We're coming to get you. Well, it's been nice knowing you, armor bear. It's going to be lights out. But, if they say the least likely thing, the less likely thing, hey, you guys, why don't you come up here and see us and we'll really show you something. I mean, that's our sign. And we attack. And our bearers going, uh, go on. Like I went to the University of Jerusalem, I studied Logic 101. There's always a creative third alternative, they told us. There's got to be a creative third. You mean either we die 
or we get to attack that whole army with one sword all by ourselves. And Jonathan said, that's the plan. That is the plan. Because with Jonathan, it's either we win or die trying. With the kingdom of God, I wonder what's happened to that attitude in us. Like, we're going to win. We're going to reach the nations or we're going to die trying. I'm going to be the dad I need to be or I'm going to die trying. I'm going to overcome this addiction or I'm going to die trying. I'm going to build a better company or I'm going to die trying for God's glory. There's no third alternatives. We either win or die trying. That's his attitude. And it reminds me that not only when we're facing the odds do we need to not let uncertainty paralyze us, but we need to refuse to live safely. You hear me say that a lot. And I'm not saying that safe places aren't important. I'm not talking about safe places. If you're working through abuse and trauma, you need places of safety. You need places of healing. This church family, you need a church family because you need places of safety in your life. But that's very different than living passively and doing nothing but protecting yourself and never taking a step where all you got is a perhaps in front of you, but you know who your God is. And turnarounds will never happen unless we defy safety. So what happened? Verse 8. So Jonathan said, come on then. We'll cross over toward them and let them see us. If they say, this is just what I described, wait there until we come to you, we will say, we will stay where we are and not go up. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. No fear of failure here. No fear of what other people will think. No fear of giving up our familiarity and our comfort and our predictability. No, we're going to win or die trying. I love, love, in fact, the motto. I thought of the motto of the French Foreign Legion when I was reading this. If if I falter, push me on. If I stumble, pick me up. But if I retreat, shoot me. Then all that's left is to defy fear, defy fear with steps of faith. Now, fear is not sinful. Fear is not wrong. The Apostle Paul talks about when he was in Ephesus really being persecuted, and he said, we had fightings without, and we had fears within. I mean, he doesn't straightjacket us us to not be human somehow. Fear is very real, and we all have it, but it doesn't define us. Courage doesn't say, I have no fear. Courage muscles through fear and goes past fear and outdistances, and acts anyway. And this is what happens. They go up, and they get out in the middle of that pass, Jonathan and his armor bearer, and they start doing the yoo-hoo thing and jumping up and down. And sure enough, according, I'm not, I, I didn't put these in your notes or on the screen, but sure enough, the Philistines say them. First Samuel 14 gives us the dialogue. One of the Philistines says to another Philistine soldier, look, those Israelites are coming out of their holes. That was not meant to be a compliment. They're coming out of their holes. And the other Philistine says, let's tell them to come up here. So, So they shout down, hey, you Israelites, come on up here and we'll really show you something. Jonathan goes, you hear that? Arm Bear says, hear what? I didn't hear anything. He said, that's our sign. 
What follows, I think, is one of the most humorous and paradoxical pictures in the Old Testament. Verse 13, Jonathan climbed up. So it's steep. They're down in this bottom of this pass, and there are the Philistine soldiers up there, and it's steep. So Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet on all fours, and his armor bearer was right behind him. And they get to the top, and the Philistines fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. They killed 20 men. Only 389,000 to go. (laughs) But I love this, verse 15. Then panic struck the whole army. I mean, why would an entire Philistine army panic when two little guys are attacking him with one sword? But panic struck the whole army. And those in the camp, in the field, those in the outposts, in the raiding parties, and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. And the ground shook under the feet of the enemy. I'm believing the ground is going to shake under the feet of some of your addictions. I'm believing the ground is going to shake under the feet of discouragement. I believe the ground is going to shake under the powers of darkness in our city. I believe that there's a moment when somebody will step out in faith and say, I don't care what the odds are. We're going to win or die trying for the glory of God. I don't care how many people deconstruct their faith. God isn't done yet. And the ground shook under their feet. Now, personally, I would prefer that God would shake the ground before I attack. And that's part of the point of the story, right? I mean, I mean, we come to this place where we, 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 we may only have a perhaps. We don't let uncertainty stop us. And we refuse to live safely. And, and we defy that fear in us with steps of faith. We don't do reckless things, we don't do stupid things, but we defy fear. We don't let fear control us and keep us passive. Maybe I will volunteer for a ministry I've never tried before. Maybe I will try to build a friendship with a non-Christian I've never tried before. Maybe I will step out of my comfort zone and and rejigger my my schedule and, and try to develop some new habits that will Take me forward in the purposes of God in my life. All I have is a perhaps against uh, ahead of me, but I'm not going to let uncertainty stop me. I'm not, I refuse to live safely with all the predictable things I'm so used to, and I am going to defy fear with steps of faith. And they, after the first 20 Philistines were down, God took over. Hallelujah. This is why every turnaround in our life usually requires a step of obedience. That came in the prophetic word during worship, a step of obedience, some risk, some stepping out, some doing this. But there's one more thing, because because Jesus steps into this story in a very unusual way about a thousand years later. And I want you to read about it with me. In Matthew 27, 50, for hours, for hours, Jesus has been hanging on the cross. Everything we've been singing about and celebrating this morning, he's been hanging on the cross for you, for me. 
So no amount of church attendance, no amount of good works, no amount of self being personally impressive could ever, could ever overcome sin and distance from God. But Jesus stepped into that gap. He took my sin and your sin on himself, and he suffered there on the cross. In fact, it had been now, well, it was the middle of the day. Everything went dark. It had been dark now for three hours. As the greatest spiritual battle in human history took place as Jesus defeated the powers of Satan at the cross. He He defeated the powers of everything that makes it feel like you've got the odds stacked against you. And in verse 50, at the last moment of his life, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit and he dies on the cross. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, that which symbolically involved the separation of God's presence from us, top to bottom, God initiated, not bottom up from us. The curtain, at that moment, the curtain in that great temple of, in Jerusalem was torn in half, opening the presence of God to us. But not only opening the presence of God to us, and what else happened? And the ground shook. The ground shook. And it split open rocks, and even tombs broke open. And suddenly, life started invading our world and pushing out death. And even in that moment, although Jesus would rise again three days later, the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. In that moment, God shook the ground under Satan's turf and declared, I have come to triumph and bring life. And you know what? We overcome because Jesus overcame. Jesus has already shaken the ground. I mean, he didn't shake the ground for Jonathan until he took a step of faith. But he has already shaken the ground. And so he invites us all the more. Go in confidence. Trust me for the impossible. Take that step that I'm speaking to you about. Finish your education. Volunteer for that ministry. Reach out to somebody you don't know. Don't just sit there. Take a step of faith. Because I've already shaken the ground under the devil's feet. And I'm calling you to help me mop up and, and, and capture the spoil of the battle. I love that. And the ground shook. The earth shook. And the rocks split. And the places of death broke open. Hallelujah. And life came. Will you stand with me, please? Hallelujah. I want you to just praise the Lord for a moment. Just thank him. Thank him. Thank him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We don't need to live safely. We don't need to serve our fears. We don't, we, we, we don't even need to have anything more than a perhaps. But you have already begun the work. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Lord, over everything that seems overwhelming in our lives. My God, where the odds seem stacked against us. We defy them in the name of Jesus this morning. Hallelujah. 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 Sounds like fun. We're going to defy the odds. When the situation is grim and the odds are against us,
You have overcome. You have shaken the ground. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.